Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, everyone. Have a seat. And uh, really great to see you all. This is nice. It's, uh, it's nice to see many of you. Some of you may be here for the first time. I had a chance to meet. Some of you may be visiting or uh, some of you haven't been here for a while, but you're back. I don't know if this is like the cutoff, the cutoff weekend where it's like the fall is official, back at church, I'm visiting. But if we haven't met, uh, my name is Dominic and I'm uh, one of the leaders here. And I just want to say special hello to people watching online. If you're watching us on YouTube, welcome. You know, you can always put comments and tell us where you're from. But especially if you're watching us from Ambrose House, downtown Montreal, we want to say special hello to you. Uh, many of you know this. We actually have a, a group of students who, who watch the teaching and connect uh, in the downtown core of Montreal. And we're like, partnering with them and encouraging them. And so we're a church that's trying to connect with people no matter where they're at in their lives. And, and so I want to tell you of a group of people that really make that possible. And I'm really, really thankful for them. And they're actually called our ministry partners. If you're a ministry partner, you know this, that at some point we asked you to sign a document, which is kind of a covenant to say that you're going to move from being just an attender at church or just a spectator at church to participating with what God's doing in our church. Just think of the idea of like you're deciding that you're going to put your roots down and really be part of the 180. And so in a few weeks, we're going to have a special ministry partner meeting. And so I just want to just highlight this. You'll see it on the screen. I want you to just put this in your calendar. If you are a ministry partner, please just prioritize being with us. It's a time to just give you an update on our budget, what's happening at the church, uh, you know, just some different things going on that we share with you. And for some of you, you're like, you know what? I think I'm ready to be a ministry partner. I think I'm ready to take that step and move from just showing up once in a while. And, you know, one of the things I think about is that we live in a culture that teaches us to be consumers. To be a consumer is to be somebody who just gets stuff when it works for us and then to wash our hands and walk away when it's not for us anymore. Everything around us is shaped by making us consumers. And there's something about the church that calls us to a place where we would fight against that temptation and be participants. Be those who are not just spectators, but those who want to serve and be part of what God's doing. And to be a ministry partner is the way we help you do that. We're actually just helping you not believe in the lies of this world. That's what we're trying to do. And so for some of you, you're just there. You've been, you're here for a while, and you're like, I'm ready. I need to take this next step. And so I, I want to encourage you to do that. And, and so that might even help you maybe understand part of what we've been doing as a church over the past little while is we've been looking at people in the Bible who had to take the next step. We've been looking at people in the Bible who understood things about God or they had heard things about spiritual, spirituality. And when they met Jesus, they were never the same. They were transformed like forever. And their lives started to change, the way they thought started to change, how they started to pray changed. And if you haven't been with us at all, I want to just give you like a quick update, okay? Some of you have been with us, you've been faithful, you've been here. But if you've missed them, I'm going to give you an update. You can watch them online, the sermons. But I want to show you the people we've looked at so far. 
Because one of the beautiful things about seeing these people is just reminding you that Jesus meets everyone where they're at. This is so beautiful. Like, I'm so happy that when I had all my struggles with God, when I had all my questions with God, Jesus found me living in Toronto in a really sketchy apartment one day where I sensed that God was calling me to take the next step. Now, it wasn't the first time I learned about God, but it was one of the first times I sensed God saying to me, I want to use you in a way you never imagined. And I fought for a long time because I didn't want to be a pastor and I didn't want to be a leader and I didn't really care about church. And God's like, just, just watch now. And I just took the next step. So here's just a list of some of the people that we've looked at. You can go to the list here. Maybe you remember them, okay? One is a woman with broken relationships. If you actually listened to the sermon, I encourage you to go to the Bible and read some of her story. She's like at a well one day getting water and Jesus shows up. And Jesus transforms her life. And not only in that moment is there like deep like transformation. She goes back to the relationships of people in her own village where they were broken and she begins to tell them that Jesus has changed their life. And then people in her village, they start to say yes to Jesus. How amazing is that? That Jesus is healing people's relationships because people never the same. The other people we looked at are the wealthy businessmen. Any of you remember the Bible word for these wealthy businessmen? Tax collectors, okay? They're just sketchy, hustle, street people who know how to make money. Like some of you in the church, okay? So, no, I'm kidding. Okay, I got your time. <laughs> You're welcome in our church any day. But Jesus had a way of welcoming people no matter where they were. And they didn't want anything to do with God. And Jesus was like, you know what? You might not show up at the temple, but how about I come and have a party at your house? Let's do that. Invite your tax collector friends to that and we'll talk. And Jesus changes their life. And they're like, who is this guy? And you know, last week we looked at a religious scholar. Any of you remember his name? Nicodemus is his name. If you missed it, you can go online and watch it. And Nicodemus knows the Bible. He's a Bible teacher. And then he meets Jesus and he's like, this Jesus, he's different. I got to talk to him. And he begins a conversation with Jesus because he has questions, deeper questions. So I, I want you to know, as I, I just sketch this out for you, to know that we all fit somewhere in these questions. We fit in this story. This story is not an old story that happened a long time ago. This is our story. And that Jesus is still meeting people like you, like me, changing people's lives. Now, I want to tell you a secret. There's one thing about Jesus I have not told you yet about in this series. That Jesus didn't just meet individual people and change their lives so that they were never the same. He did not just do that. What he did is after he met them, he got all of them to be friends with one another. So think about all of these three people showing up for dinner one day together and all getting to know one another. Like, think about how hard it would be to get people who are used to not liking each other, who are used to staying away from each other, and then all of a sudden, because of Jesus, they're all following together. Jesus had a way of making people who didn't like each other friends. Just think of three people here at the church that you don't like right now. I better not be one of them. Some of you laugh, and inside you're like, I got like 10 people. It's another class on forgiveness. We're getting there. We're getting there. Imagine Jesus had a way of taking people who were fighting, they disagreed, and he's like, you should follow me. And as you're following him, you meet somebody else. You're like, I hate that guy. I can't believe he's with Jesus. Oh my goodness, I hate him. Because Jesus told people as they followed him, they became friends. They learned to get along. They learned to say, I'm sorry. They learned to forgive. They learned to say, I'm broken and you're broken and Jesus is healing us. It's gonna be okay. Because he's doing something deeper. You know, we hope that this is one of the things that happens when many of you sign up for home groups. 
That you're going to be in a group with other people in proximity. You're not just going to come to church, grab your coffee, grab your kids and leave and be like, oh, I had sports, which happens sometimes. We understand. But we're going to invite you to just wait a bit longer. Just sit just a bit longer. Just learn and listen and be like, I didn't think I was going to get along with you or I didn't think I was going to kind of understand your story. We all know people like this. We meet them and then Jesus shows up and he begins to heal things and he does something new. And so Jesus has been doing this with different people in the Bible. And he's doing that still today. And today I want to tell you about a person who never, ever, ever thought he would be Jesus' friend. Never. He not only didn't even want to know much about Jesus, he hated people who follow Jesus. You know anyone like that? I have people in my life like that. They just hate that I'm a pastor. They love me in their hearts, but they just, they're like, ah, religion is weird, dumb, you're weird, church is weird, but we like you because I'm that kind of guy. I mean, okay, no, no, it didn't work. Okay, I hope so, okay. <laughs> but, but it's like, yeah, but don't talk about religion. Don't talk about the Bible. Don't, no, 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 that. But let's talk about something else. There's this person in the Bible that was convinced that he was never, ever gonna have anything to do with the story about Jesus. And to help you understand the life of this person or just to, to get you into the person's life, I want you to think of the most critical, angry person you know. And if you're married to them, just don't turn around. Just stay like this. If they're there, just be like, whatever. For me, it's my wife. She's upstairs. So we don't have to tell her to talk about it. <laughs> don't tell her because we're going to have a long weekend. <laughs> don't tell her. That. Actually, I'm the most, I'm usually like, you know, grumpy and, and angry in our house. She's like, oh, why don't you smile more? I'm like, I am smiling. Anyway. Okay. So, so think of the most critical, angry person you know in your mind. Got them? Sometimes maybe it's you. Right? Now multiply that by a thousand, and the person we're gonna look at is that kind of person. Critical, angry, upset, but loves God, knows the Bible. There's something about knowing the Bible, but yet still holding on to the people that, you know, don't look the way you look, they don't act the way you act. And to help you just go just a bit further to understand this person, I wanna tell you his name. His name is Saul. This is an important name in the Bible. Some of you know this, and if you don't, it's okay. We're here to help. Saul means something very important in the Bible because Saul was the first king of Israel. To be named after the first king of Israel tells you a little bit about parents who named their son Saul, right? They, they want their son to kind of have the strength and the authority and the, the vision to, to defend the people of God, to 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 be kind of a person who stands up for the people of God. So like, if we have to name our son something, what are we going to name? Let's name him Saul. That's what we want. Like my, my youngest son, his, name, his middle name is my name. So I was like, yeah, two Dominics in the house. That's what we need. We need more Dominics, three Dominics. If I had a daughter, I'd name her Dominic. More people like me, right? Amen? You guys are like, no, when's it? Tone it down, Don. Tone it down. Saul, king of Israel. But we're not talking about Saul, the king of Israel. We're talking about another Saul named after Saul, the king of Israel. And his whole life, he was committed to live up to that standard. To live up to the expectation of his name. We know that feeling. We know the pressure of that. Maybe different expectations. Expectations in my family that to be a certain person, to, to have certain success, to be a man, to be a leader, to be respected, all of these things. And I remember in my life how hard it was to be like, what does that even mean? 
I remember how nervous I was like the first time I told my father that I sensed that maybe I had to study theology and the Bible. And he looked at me and he's like, you want to be a priest? I was like, no, no, no. Let's hope I don't have to do that. But I'm just going to study the Bible more. I, I was fighting with all the expectations he had for me, all the expectations in my family that I thought I had to live up to. And trust me, they weren't this. So we feel those expectations. What kind of expectations do you feel? Pressures to be the right kind of mom, the right kind of son, the right kind of daughter, the right kind of citizen, to speak the right language, the right way, to follow the rules, to obey. Saul was good at this. And actually, at one point in his life, Saul tells us how good he was at this. It's always good to learn about Saul in his own words. This is what he tells us about his life, and I'll just read it for you so you can get a a snapshot of what he says. When he thinks about his life and the way he lived, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. I mean, this guy's a smart guy. Among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He said, I did this. I lived up to my name. If you want to just understand Saul one other way, he's probably about the same age that Jesus was. So when we meet him in the Bible, he's probably around 35, 36 years old. Okay? So think about a person that age named Saul, and in his mind and in his heart, he has a big problem he has to deal with. A huge problem. Now, I don't have time to explain to you his whole life. We could do a whole, like, weeks and weeks on Saul's life, but I'll tell you something important. When you read about him sometimes in the Bible, you'll hear about him as both named Saul and named Paul. People use both of those names for him. Now, that's very common in the Bible, depending where you were and what context you were in. If he was with the Jewish people, he sometimes used Saul. If he was with the Romans or the Greeks, he sometimes used Paul. So don't get confused. I might actually do that in my sermon. I might say Paul and Saul. Don't, I don't want you to think like, oh, our pastor's confused. No, no, it's the same person. Same person. But I want to give you in a snapshot. I thought about this because I'm like, I don't want the sermon to be too long and I want to make sure you understand this. This is so important because God's going to stretch us and teach us. I want to give you just one slide that's going to give you three markers. And if you're fast at writing, you can write these down or you just want to take a picture of the screen. Okay, it might help you. Three markers to help you understand things that define the Saul's life. He wanted to be a good Jewish leader. But these are the kinds of things. You could go to the next slide. You'll see them. He, he was a defender of Judaism. And I put the Bible passages there for you if you want to go read more about them. He was critical of new teaching, which we end up calling Christianity. He was very critical that there were people who were following this guy that they killed on a cross. That should have ended. And he, he's really nervous about this. And the last thing he's convinced of, and he's like, I must destroy these people who gather together as this church. We, we got to destroy them. It needs to stop. And he actually says this himself. Every time I think about Saul, I can feel like I'm tired just thinking about his life. Like I'm stressed just reading about this. I find that in my own life. You know, when I have stress and anxiety and angry and that needs to stop and that needs to change. Maybe you've felt this in your life where you feel like you're just trying to control everything. Your kids, your work, you you realize you're like, I'm kind of a control freak. You're like, that's just a lot of work. Just tiring, overwhelmed. Saul was convinced that if he was going to live up to his name, he had to do these things. If he's going to live up to the expectations about being a man who defended Israel and taught the teachings of the Torah, he needed to deal with this. And then one day, 
He's convinced that one of the ways to do this is to get a letter, a special letter written by the leaders of the Jewish, the Jewish uh, like leaders of the time. And he says, I'm going to go to a place called Damascus and I'm going to send a message to all of these Christians. You know, you ever watch a movie where the guy says, we're going to send a message, right? You think of, you kill somebody's cat or something. I don't know. The, the classic send a message image is what? I, exactly. Everybody knows this. It's a horse head in somebody's bed. Okay? It's just art. It's art, right? It's good art. It's famous art. Send a message. Saul's like, we're going to send a message. We're going to get a letter. We're going we're to kill some of these Christians. We're going we're gonna to round up some of the leaders so nobody thinks that they're going to be a leader of this church. So he decides that we're going to do this. And this is what we're told as he prepares his, his plan. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Let's pray and go home right now. Are you kidding me right now? This, like, this is not going to work. Like, what do you mean? If you read the story, you know, the Bible gives us three different examples of this experience for Saul. And they're like a little bit different, but they all capture the same idea. That the old Saul is about to die forever. That all of a sudden, his plans, his schedule, his purpose in life, his meaning, his energy is all going to be changed and he doesn't know how yet. The Bible tells us that in some sense, he's blinded by the light. He can't really see. The people who are, who are with him, some of them like remember a light and remember that they heard a voice, but they don't know what was happening. I mean, let's just be honest. If you go to Alpha, if you, you sign up for Alpha, you'd probably ask questions at this point. Right? You'd be like, oh, I have some questions. I have some questions. You know, oftentimes I think of people in my life who don't believe in God, and I pray that this would happen to them. It'd be so easy. Then I don't have to, like, tell them a story, and it doesn't take a long time. It's a shortcut. We love this. And we love this so much that we look for signs and everything. Oh, I need a sign. I need a sign. I know so many people that have gotten every sign and still don't believe. Because signs don't help you if your heart is stubborn. So Saul is going to get a sign. But now God is going to change his heart. And he's going to experience what it's like to hear his life from a totally different perspective. Because Saul or Paul is never going to be the same again. Now, I wish I can tell you like so many things that happen. And I'm going to give you just a few things because you're going to be like, Dom, this is too long and I'm tired. And, and anybody helping with our kids is going to kill me. Okay. But I want to keep it together. And I want to tell you that when you read this story, if we're really, really honest, and you're studying your Bible, you're learning about this, you're watching online, you're maybe following along, you're like, like I'm a little bit suspicious of what's happening here. Like, maybe you, you know this. Like, you've gotten to a place in your life where, you know, you're critical. People tell you they've accepted Jesus in their heart. You're like, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. People tell you they're into religion. You're like, yeah, I heard that before. You know, we have these stories where we meet people who can easily, and we're, we're some of those people, we can pretend to change, but not change. 
We can pretend to care about some things, but only for a little, little while. And if you don't believe me, just think about it. In a few months, you're all going to make New Year's resolutions. You're going to be like, yeah, lose weight, but you're going to gain weight. Okay, whatever. You have, you have all these ideas that you're like, oh, I'm so ready to go. It's going to be great. And you're like, just wait and see. Wait and see. Like when I think of the story of Saul, I'm like, let's wait and see what's going to happen right now. And we're told right next in the story, something amazing. There's somebody else that we're introduced to who also doesn't believe. They also don't believe that this Saul guy who goes from wanting to being killing guy, destroying church guy, burning like buildings down guy, not that churches had big buildings, but getting rid of the Christians as, be, as best as he could. He's like, I don't know. And God speaks to this person. So I got to tell you another person's name. For some of you who don't like names, too bad. Okay, that person's name is Ananias. Okay, any of you have kids named Ananias? No? There you go. There's a name. You might want to use that. Name your dog Ananias. Ananias is spoken to in a vision by God to go see Saul. Remember where Saul is? He's confused. He's in a house. He's waiting. He can't see. He's like, my life is so over. I don't know what's happening. I have so many questions. He's probably crying, sad, all kinds of emotions. Like, what's going on? This is ridiculous. So God starts to speak to Ananias. says, Ananias, you need to go and see this guy called Saul. And you need to tell him that I'm preparing him for something new. This is what we're told. It's so profound when God gets Ananias. It's right there in that section. Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, God, and all of the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias knows who this Saul is. He said, God, let me get this straight. You want me to go talk to a guy who likely, if he meets me and knows that I'm connected to the church, is going to what? Kill me. And God's like, Ananias, you need to go where I tell you to go. Sometimes we need that from God, right? God's nice, he's gracious, and sometimes he's like, okay, enough talking around here, enough playing games. Just get up and go. Go and do what I told you to do. I think this moment for me in the story is very important, and it's shaped my life in a deep way. Because I think in so many times in my life, God sent people in my life that I didn't know I needed. God sent people in my life to remind me that God was not done with me yet. God brought people into my life who, who called out of me something that God was doing and I didn't know what that meant. And they said, God is starting to say this to you. Pay attention to this. Pay attention. I remember the first time I started to help in a church and I made mistakes and I, I, I wasn't sure what I believed and I was wrestling with the Bible and theology and just a young mentor just came along and said, Dom, I think it just stick with this. God's going to use you. Don't worry. I'm like, really? This is so weird. As a pastor, one of the great joys of being a pastor, there's challenges, but there's great joys, is being with people and seeing in them something they don't see in themselves yet. Many of you are here who are blessed by people who stepped out and started to do things they never thought they'd do. They help on our worship team now. They're doing announcements. They're serving in some board in our city. They're helping with our kids. Why? Because somebody stepped into their lives and said, I see something new here. God's going to do something special. Some of you, God is going to use you to encourage someone else. And Ananias is not sure. He's like, God, I'm, I don't know, like this guy, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. I'm a bit nervous. I'm kind of, I'm suspicious that he's really changed. I'm suspicious that he really 
is going to trust you now, but Ananias has to go. He goes. What happens next is the most beautiful part of the New Testament in our Bible. Now, if you want some thoughts about how we know that Saul was transformed and was never the same, I'm going to list a few of them for you, and if you like taking notes, you can write them down. One of the things that he starts to do is he realizes that the life that he was living to just teach the teachings of Israel and to miss that Jesus was at the heart of that will have to change forever. The other thing he has to realize is that if Jesus is really in the church, using these people at the church, Saul is going to start to commit to planting churches. I mean, you're waiting for someone who just had a bad day. You're waiting for someone who just goes back like, I saw a light that was very weird. I don't even know what happened, but I'm going to go back to my old life. And, uh, you know, I'm not really going to commit my life to serving Jesus as Lord. But he decides that he's now going to commit his whole life and his energy to serving this Jesus who has spoken to him. Now, we don't know all the details exactly how that happens. We know he's going to be baptized. We know he's going to understand that God is changing his thinking. But we also know deep in his heart that God has to deal with his anger. And God has to deal with the critical spirit in his heart. And the way he's grown up, like just thinking like, how do, I, how do I stop this? You know what I wish we had in the Bible? I wish we had the moment where Saul goes to the people that he killed and hurt and says he's sorry. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have that? Like what does he say to them? When he goes to some of the families that he was bullying or scaring and he says, listen, like I'm different now. I met Jesus. I met the Jesus that you serve. I met him too. And they're like, he's lying to us. He's going to kill us. Watch this. He's like, I'm not lying. Everything has changed. And then he does something even more crazy to show you that he's so serious. Something that maybe you never thought about. He starts to raise money for churches. He starts to ask people to take some of their own money and to put it aside so he can collect it so new churches can start. I just want to read you this passage. And I want you to think about this because you've seen this passage in many of the stuff that we invite you to give of your resources. It says this, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I, Paul, saw come, no collection will have to be made. Do you know how changed you have to be to start raising money for churches? I think of so many times I read this passage and I know for us, many of times we talk about money. We're like, oh yeah, here we go again. The church and money right? And then you read it like, wait a second, let me, let me just slow down to remember who wrote these words. These are words from Saul who's been transformed by Jesus to a church in Corinth, saying to them, if God can change me, then God can change anyone. If God can heal me, then many of you need to know what it means to be healed of being greedy. So set money aside because when I come, I'm picking it up because we're planting churches. Can you imagine what this would mean for us to believe that if God is making people like Saul's life totally transformed, that your life and the things that you're going through, God can heal and transform. The people that you know, the people that I know, that are they're too tough for God. They're too critical for religion. They, they know what they believe. They don't need any help. Saul, Saul was that kind of guy. And we're told in these moments that Saul is like, 
Listen, you don't understand. Like, I wish I could go back to just my old life. Like, I wish I could just go back to being like a good Jew. But Jesus left me never the same. If you want another thing to remember, is that when you read the Bible, and many of you maybe, you've been in church for a while, you know this, most of the letters in the New Testament are written by this Saul. Can you imagine what it would take to write letters, then raise money, then copy the letters, then get them to other churches? I hope somebody's giving money for some of this. You know, it's so easy to take that for granted and to be like, oh, you know, we'll give you a Bible for free. We just have a few out there. Who cares about the sacrifice of people that they made to get us this Bible? You think about that Saul says to us, when Jesus changed my life, everything changed. The way I saw my life, the way I lived my life, the way I thought about money changed. And one of the things, if you go to our website, we often invite you to be generous and to practice giving. It's not because I or God need our money. I don't give to the church because God needs my money. You don't give to the church because God needs your money. Actually, there are so many charities that are on right now. Like I was just, the other day I was at Tim Hortons. Any of you eat those blue cookies? Blue cookies, blue, blue donuts, proceeds go here. Like there's so many charities and every time I'm somewhere, they're like, you want to give $3 for this or $4 for that? And I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah, sure, I want to give $2, whatever. You want to be generous, right? And I'm thinking, most people think that the church is just like one of these charities. Hey, you either give to a charity or you give to the church. They're the same thing. If you believe that, can we stop right now and stop with this nonsense? The church is not a charity. The church is not an organization that needs your money for God to hopefully start some new things. The church is the place where Jesus has transformed us so we want to give of our money so more people hear about Jesus. See the difference? And yet I meet people all the time. They've been Christians for years and they're like, yeah, you know, the church, I help with this. It's the same as the church. I'm like, really? You probably never heard of Saul of Tarsus. You probably never heard that Paul could have just continued to help people. And he said, no, 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 no. There's a whole other way that Jesus is changing the world. And it's with people who've surrendered to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to tell you one of the most beautiful images that Paul gives us for what it means to be transformed and to be never the same. This is Paul who gives us these words. This is what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning surrendered to the life that Jesus calls us to, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. I love, like this is such a profound way to understand that Jesus takes people and leaves them never the same. Now let's be honest. How many of you get up in the week and you don't feel like a new creation? Anyone? This week, I got up twice. I was like, my kids are coughing. My wife's running around. I'm like, I have all these meetings. I'm like, I feel like an older creation. Older than yesterday. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't lose focus. New creation, old creation is not a feeling. It's not whether you're having a good day. It's that because you now trust in Jesus, everything that Jesus did for you is, is a benefit to the way you live and how you see your life in this world. His peace, his hope, his love, his kindness, his generosity, all those things. And they come alive in our lives at different times. You know, I wish Christianity at times was, oh, because I love Jesus, I'm going to have a great life all the time. Oh, because I'm a Christian, you know, my kids are never going to get in trouble. They're going to stay out of the drugs. They're not going to be on the internet like the other kids. That's never going to happen. Write it down. 
That's not what it means to be a new creation. To be a new creation, for those of you who want to understand just a theological idea, is that we have been made right with God. When God sees us, he actually sees Jesus and the work that he did for us. And at the same time, we we learn what the benefits of following Jesus are as we live every day and trust that Jesus. You understand the difference? It's like the same way when a couple gets married. They're married on that day, but the love of that marriage will flourish over their lifetime. Right? So two things happen at the same time. One thing happens instantaneously almost, and the benefits of that take time to flourish. So Paul says, let me just give you an image of what was happening to me. So I don't know how else to tell you this, but I remember my old life. I remember how I used to think of myself. I remember the way I used to live. And then Jesus met me. And I became both new in the moment and new for the rest of my life. And I lived in that newness. I was sensing every day that I was a new creation, even when I didn't feel it. I lived in the promise of what Jesus had said. For some of you, that's just learning to trust what Jesus says. Learning to believe that even when you're struggling, that Jesus is there. Paul has no idea that God is not only going to transform his life, but God has homework for him. How many of you have kids who love homework? Anybody? Nobody. Actually, I used to love homework when I was studying theology because I love the topic, and I often tell my kids that. I'm like, you know what? When dad was like in, you know, university, I used to love homework. They look at me like I'm an alien. They're like, you, nobody loves homework, dad. Nobody. You know, like they just can't believe it. Saul has no idea that Jesus, who's changing his life, has homework for him. Some of you know what that homework is. Some of you know that it's a special responsibility to go to people who do not believe in Jesus and to start to say to them that Jesus wants to change their lives as well. If you want to write this down, this might help you. The people that Paul goes to are often called Gentiles in the Bible. Gentiles is a big Bible word that means anyone who's not a Jew. So that means all of you, unless you're Jewish, (laughs) right? Like, so when the Bible says Gentiles, they're people who were not there with Jesus early on, but we slowly start to understand Jesus later. We're like not Jew, the Jewish people from the Old Testament, but we realize, wait a second, Jesus is inviting us into this story, but we're not sure what that looks like. And Saul is going to feel the pain, the suffering, the prison of people saying to him, that's not what we want you to do, Paul. You should tell people that if they want to follow Jesus, they first have to be Jewish and then they can follow Jesus. You ever experienced that? That people want you to be like them before you can say yes to Jesus? You need to follow Jesus the way I follow Jesus. No tattoos, no like, no, you have to look like me. I grew up in that world like from the youngest time I remember. I just even felt nervous when I had to be a pastor. I was talking to someone earlier this morning about like how you, how you look as a pastor. I was like, what does it mean to look like a pastor? What does it mean to be like holy like a pastor? My kids, what does it mean? All these expectations look this way and do this way. And then my kids, they need to do that. They need to look like. Paul realizes that the biggest challenge of his life is not the Roman Empire. It's not the people of the world who don't like God. It's the Jewish people who don't want the Gentiles to be part of the church without first becoming Jews. Can you imagine how hard this would be? God changed his life. He's so excited. He's like, I'm so excited to share this with other people. And then there's like a hurdle. It's like, Oh my gosh, 
What do you mean? You guys don't want people who don't know Jesus to meet him? They're like, yeah, we do, but they first need to like, be like us. And many of you, if you're men, you know this maybe from a story, that to be like us in the Bible times meant that men should get circumcised. They should have a physical marker on their body that they're going to look like Jews first, and then they can get to Jesus. And Saul is like, whoa, 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 one minute. No, 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 no. Jesus found me when I was broken, and I was the furthest away from him. We don't want to be putting hurdles in front of people who are dying to experience what it's like that God can heal their lives, that Jesus can transform the heart of who they are. We don't want to do any of that. And Paul's going to talk about this. He's going to teach about this. And you know some people, they're not going to get it. They're not even going to care. They're not even going to try to get it. They're going to be like, yeah, that was really, really good. I, I, I think about this all the time. I've been a pastor for a long time. And one of the most discouraging things is to talk about something like for a whole year and then tell the people, hey, did you do that thing? Nah, I did my own thing. Oh, okay, great. That God invites us to remember that what he was doing in Saul, he's still doing today. That he's still inviting people who not only are they angry and critical and upset and like, nah, nothing to do with that, but then he starts to give us a task, a responsibility to say, aren't there people around you who don't know that the hope that I have for them can change their lives? I know people like that. You know people like that. And Jesus says, just come, come and meet some of them. Some of them are my friends. Come and see. And Saul's going to try to do this and he's going to try to invite people into this story. I want to tell you the last way that Paul explains this to people because it's hard, right? He's going to explain it by saying, you know, start raising money. We're planting churches. Then he's going to say, listen, we're also a new creation, meaning we're starting to live as new people now. But then he's going to say one last thing, and I want you to remember this. He's going to say that because of the cross, we get to die to ourselves and experience new life with Jesus. For most of Paul's writing, and next week we're going to talk more about this, he helps us understand what it means that we're people who have a living God because Jesus was dead and then he was raised to life. That that's the God that we serve. And this is what he says in the letter to the Romans. It's such a beautiful image. He says, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. By the way, this will take you a lifetime to try to just understand. It's a lifetime. But everybody who follows Jesus does something important. They get baptized. And their baptism is in fulfillment to this image. That in your baptism, you die to yourself in the water and you're raised up again as a sign of saying, I no longer live for myself. I've been changed forever. My life now will count as it's shaped by being a person who is committed fully to the way of life that Jesus calls us to. And I want that. And I want to do that. I often tell people sometimes when they're with somebody who they love and they're thinking about death. I don't know if you've ever thought about this with people who are grieving. I talk to people all the time or maybe have someone who has cancer in their family or someone who's you know, just struggling. They're in the hospital. They're, they're just death all around them. Just people dying in sickness. I often think about what it means to be a Christian and why we're not afraid to die. It's because we already died in our baptism. Think about this. If you've already died, you can't die again. 
Your baptism is the reminder that you've already died to yourself. And now the life that you live is just the life you live now with the hope of the resurrection that you just await. You see the difference? You're only really afraid to die if you've never died already. But to be a Christian, and Paul is saying, you have to get this. I have died already. No one can even hurt me anymore. Like there's not, suffering even has a new perspective. I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to just end with what it means for us to know that God, from the beginning of this story, was meeting people whose lives were never the same. And how easy it is for us to live in a world where we know this story, we hear the story, we even know, like, you're like, I know Paul, I know Saul's story, I watched the Netflix thing, it's really great. That's what this becomes. But it's not a story that has to be about us. It's not a story about how God says, no, no, are you never the same? Paul, one day, is going to write again to a young leader. And he's going to say this to that leader. See it on the screen. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. It's actually a pastor. It's it's the first slide, Andy. You can go to it. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. But be diligent in these matters and absorb in them, the things that God is calling you to, so that your progress will be evident to all. That being transformed in this new way that Jesus calls us to should be evident to other people who see our lives. Is it evident to people who know you that every day you're thinking about how to live closer and more committed to the way of Jesus? Is that evident? If you're not sure and you have kids, ask them. Ask your kids. If you have teenagers, ask them, when you're with mom and dad, do you want to trust Jesus more today or less? See what they tell you. Write down what they tell you. The people closest to us will know if it's evident that Jesus has done something deep in us that we are no longer part of our old creation, but we long to be those who are living in this new way of life. And if that doesn't matter to you, you've never met Jesus. Never. Paul says, listen, it's so clear that the people who said yes to Jesus, uh, he says, I I know this myself. When we got serious about the gifts that God had put in us, the benefits of saying yes to Jesus, the hope of the cross and the resurrection, it was evident to others. They knew, they knew, they're like something up. Now I know when I say that, it's easy for you to hear, I think Dom wants all of us to be preachers. Yes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Kidding. I want each of you to understand that you have died to yourself if you've met Jesus. And if you have not died to yourself, let me invite you to think about what it means to follow Jesus for the first time. That's what it means. I didn't write this. It's not my idea. I think it's a crazy idea and I think it's so hard to do. You're better off just staying home Sunday mornings and go play soccer with your kids. But when Jesus meets you, something changes forever. Your whole, your priorities, your life, the way you think about yourself, the way you talk about who you are, the way you spend your money, the way you pray, never the same. Never the same. I'm going to sing the song about the cross again. Because Saul is going to learn that the way Jesus changes the world is not by power, it's not by politics, it's not by negotiation, but it's by the cross. By being obedient and following in what God had called him to do so that he would be raised to life. And that the same power 
that raised Jesus to life is the power that's available to us. To be his people today for those who never want to be the same. I'm going to have you stand and sing the song before we close.
at the end of his life, Paul, close to the end of his life, will be captured and will be put in prison. Actually, you'll see a picture of him standing before a ruler. His name is Agrippa II. Just go to the picture near the end, just of uh, that image. This is one of the images an artist just painted of Saul being before Agrippa II. You can read about this interaction in Acts chapter 26. The Bible says that Saul is quiet until Agrippa says, you can talk now. Tell me about this teaching, this thing you have to say. And Saul, till almost the end of his life, will begin again with his story about when Jesus made him never the same. He's like, let me tell you, I was angry and committed to destroy everything that had to do with Jesus and his church. And then something happened. And I was never the same. And because of Saul's commitment, he would write the New Testament. He would continue to plant churches. We today know the story of Christianity primarily in its written form because of this Saul. And it made me think of how important it is for us to be ready to share with others, not just when we die, but now about how Jesus made us never the same. I encourage someone in our church this week to take some time and to write down how they would explain to their kids what it means that Jesus found them. Maybe you've never done that exercise. What would you say about the moment when maybe it wasn't a flash of light, maybe it wasn't like big drama, I wasn't drugs, then I wasn't, it wasn't, whatever it is. You, at some point, were invited to die to yourself and to live in Christ. How would you say that? In your own words. If you have time this week, read Acts chapter 26. When Saul just is like, let me just tell you, like, I know I might die here, but let's, let's just do this. Let's go. Saul will eventually die a martyr in Rome. Some speculations is that he's crucified upside down. Either him or Peter together as martyrs. I can imagine how many times he thought about, I was the one that I was going to kill everyone else. And now because of Jesus, I'm the one who's going to suffer. This is our legacy, by the way. If you want to be a Christian, these are the people we're learning from. Not power, not the ways of the world, but the way of the cross. And so for you this morning, maybe this is brand new. Maybe you're watching online and you're like, wait a second. Like I never really connected the pieces this way. And you know that Jesus is saying to you, it's time now that you let me in so that I can make you never the same. That begins sometimes just with a prayer, just with a quiet prayer to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to take the next step. And if you're here, or you're watching online, we'd love to talk and, and just introduce you to this idea, this image that baptism is usually the next step now when you understand what Jesus is calling you to. For those of you who've been baptized, maybe it's time to just recommit and say, God, I need to get more serious about this more than ever so that you would use me the way you used Paul, that you would use me in other people's lives who never thought they would ever meet you, but you're going to use me and my story in their life. Let's just pray for God to do that in our time. Now, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for finding Saul on that Damascus road. Thank you for this moment 
captured for us in the scriptures of his life and his commitment to you. Each one of us who loves you will one day meet Saul of Tarsus. Paul will share with us stories of the things that he sacrificed for your kingdom. And he will ask us what we sacrificed. And I pray that today would be a day where we would remember and share with Paul that we committed to make new sacrifices for your kingdom. Whether it was giving of our resources, setting time aside, getting more serious than ever to help others who are far off understand your love. Would you remind us, Jesus, that you're still transforming the most angry, critical people in our world because you just know how to meet us where we are. I pray for those who are listening who maybe have never said yes to you. I pray that you would kind of shake their hearts and help them to know that it's you that's speaking to them. That it's you that's inviting them to say yes and to just to take one little step and that you will meet them where they are because all of this is your work, not ours. As we go now, we pray that you would give us a chance to share about how you've changed us with our kids, with our grandchildren, with our friends, in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that they would see that our progress is so evident. Teach us what it means to die to ourselves daily. And may you be honored in our lives today the way you were in the life of Saul of Tarsus. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, next week, we start a new series looking at one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. It's a letter to the first Corinthians, and we're going to take communion together. If you're a Christian, you know how important it is to set aside time to take communion together, so be here. And so we look forward to learning together. Bible study, we'll see you this week. And as well, sign up for home groups and Alpha. And God bless everyone. Have a good day. Don't forget, vote tomorrow. Bye, everyone.